Good evening. Nice to be with you all. And what's your name? Have we met before? Have we met before? No. no. We have not. I'm Cody. Cody and? Jen. Jen and? Little Bodhi. Bodhi. Cody, Jen, Bodhi. Good. Good to see you. Nice to see you. All right. How are you? Everything okay? Good. So uh, I was going to ask for questions tonight, and I'll try to follow through on that. Um, but uh, I've been discussing with the devotees. I was recently out east, where we have also a number of members and and. Um, associates from other sanghas that tend to participate in our discussions, which is nice. Um, and there, some of you may know, have been following along through the, the um, classes that have been recorded and streamed and so forth. We've been discussing, well, we began by discussing the nature of, of Leela. Leela's uh, complex uh, term, and we discussed it at length. And with regard to the, what's called the prakat or the manifest Leela, the Leela um, uh, that um, gives us a glimpse into the uppercut Leela, the unmanifest Leela, into which we we seek to enter. Leela, broadly meaning, we went into much, into much more detail, but broadly speaking. Uh, Lila, li, li, a play or drama, consciousness, what did I say, Con- exciting Sridhar Swami, the play of consciousness um, expressing itself theatrically. Hmm? And in drama, of course, and in poetry, like, then um, we find extensions of what's appears to be the limits of possibility in terms of our physical um, uh, waking state and so forth. So it's uh, an appropriate uh, medium, if you will, to speak about that which transcends the, even the limits of the mind altogether, beyond our imagination even. Imagination is big and expands the physical world if you will, but Leela takes a step further. And into a land where we can fit. We can actually fit. As small as we are, we're too big for this world. <laughs> the Atma's just not uh, struggling with its containment, if you will. It's not that matter gives rise to consciousness. That's to say, it's not that a non-experiencing Reality gives rise to an experiential one. That is a very backwards idea. There's, for it to do so, there would have to be something that resembles experience within non-experience for experience to evolve out of it, looking at it from a Darwinian perspective. You follow me? So in other words, in that theory of evolution, whatever evolves has to have been there in some form, subtly or to some extent, in that which it had evolved from. But within non-experiential matter, 
things, if you will. There are no thoughts. Hmm. And for thoughts to evolve out of them, well, there was nothing like them inside of the things. As I've said before, well, that's another thing, but stones don't think. They're thoughts. Hmm. They're our own, they're, so the gross matter, if you will, comes from the subtle matter. This, the physical matter arises out of the subtle matter. Things arise out of thoughts. Hmm. We give the phenomenon, the objective world, names hmm. with regard to the forms that it takes and we distinguish thereby. Hmm. So, um, a little bit of Vedanta there, but um, the point I was making is that consciousness, even a tiny particle of it, an atomic particle of it, which we are said to be constituted of, doesn't fit in the entirety of the, of the material world, the physical, mental, and intellectual space, if you will. Time and space, it's like a sentence in a cell for the Atma. So the pursuit then of gaining release from that is the basic idea of spiritual life. And with regard to Gaudiya Vedanta and its school, that release then is only the beginning of the possibilities. To get free from something is the beginning. Now, what possibilities lie in the land in which one is free? Is it just, ah, I'm free, and sit forever, shanti, 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 contemplating? Which is a pretty big thing. It could occupy you for quite a while. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> The whole thing, it's over. No fear, it's not just a bumper sticker or, you know, <laughs> something. And all anxiety and concerns and so forth. To abide in, in the fullness that is the self in compar- par- comparison to the emptiness that is the world of, of uh, comings and goings where nothing... Yeah, Whatever's here today, as they say, is, is, is gone tomorrow or the next day, mm-hmm. soon thereafter. So, what are, so shall we just sit and if you found out, ah, I was, I, I was told by the doctor I had cancer and I had six months to live, so I told everybody and, and I'm bearing the weight of that and so forth, which would be considerable, as you can imagine. And then the doctor called up and said, oh, sorry, we had the wrong file. It was somebody else. And then it's a, quite a relief, but then relief has to be followed by celebration, right? Of course, that's probably not the best way to approach the whole matter, but <laughs> given the playing out of the analogy, but, but, but uh, to celebrate in transcendence, movement, that is to say, in transcendence, not stillness. So we're moving now, but we're moving because someone's chasing us. And it's us. It's our own activities which are involved in chasing others. We're taking, and so we owe. 
So, as they say, off to work we go. Hmm? We go to debt. So the, we, the, the movement, then, is troublesome here. So to stop running, because you're no longer chasing yourself. Hmm? As I say, that, 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 that's a relief, that's, that's, that's restful, but is there any other kind of movement, then? Right? Celebratory movement. So this is, this is another way of speaking, a little different than I spoke about the other day. Leela, movement in transcendence. The Atma, which is small, and thus subject to the illusion that we find ourselves in, that we're talking about the need to get released from. And the Atma, small as a particle of consciousness, fact that it's small and it's not the whole thing, the fact that it's only a, a fraction, if you will, a ray of the sun rather than the whole sun, gives us some reason to some way, I should say, to understand that we're in this condition. If we were the whole thing, then it would seem preposterous. For the sun to be covered by the clouds, well, that's only, you know, from our angle of vision, it's actually shining quite brightly up there. It produces the clouds. If everything comes from consciousness, as I'm saying, and we were the whole of consciousness, then the cloud of illusion would be a product of ourselves, and it would never obscure us, only to you know, from another angle of vision, but we would be shining, just like if you go far enough in the airplane on a cloudy day, it's, it's confined as actually a sunny day, right? So the entirety, the whole of consciousness is not uh, subject to the illusion that we find ourselves in. It's peculiar. I mean, we are a unit of eternity with the capacity for knowing and, and loving such it. Ananda. Hmm. We can't be extinguished by the influence of material nature. So we're kind of like a light that somebody put a box over. Hmm. It's still going on there, but but um, it's it's a it's a little bit inconceivable. A Chindian, I think Jiva Goswami uses the word to say how it's even possible for the atomic particle to be illusioned. But at least in comparison to the whole. The entirety makes a little sense that we could maybe be subject to it, but the whole could not. So the fact that we are subject to the illusion and seeking release from it and so forth, the illusion that we are ourselves perpetuating, as I explained, if you will, um, the, 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 our smallness inside, even though we don't fit, the world's not big enough, we're small. Hmm? And if we enter into the world of consciousness, then we come in touch with the big. Hmm? And you don't feel, you feel pretty big when you know you're part of the big. <laughs> when you're part of Brahman, which is everything, the source of even, even matter and so on and so forth, then you can feel big in your smallness. You feel good about being small. This is not meant to make us like, what do you say, um, lack of self-esteem or something like that. Get, don't get psychologically dysfunctional on us here. Uh, you're small. Mm. 
<laughs> but it's big to be small when your smallness is that you're a small part of the biggest and and that the big is affectionate so lila is then the affectionate exchange between the small and the big so there's movement in transcendence celebration beyond the relief of release beyond the peace of release and the stillness and the rest there's the movement of love in, in relation to the absolute and that is the play then of consciousness uh, that we call Leela. It's important to make, give these type of explanations because then when we, read, we relate the Leela, the play of consciousness expressing itself theatrically as it's described in the Bhagavatam, which is Vyasa's meditation on the historical Krishna and what he derived from that in samadhi. This has to be taken quite seriously. What's, what Vyas experienced that he relates in his retelling of the, of the story of Krishna is arising out of a mind that's fully controlled in samadhi. I mean, how much can you concentrate that's the whole problem, right? Especially in, in our society, it's like information age and whatnot. You're so bombarded with so much information, it, it's hard to concentrate on one thing for. And you're supposed to be doing a lot of things at once if you're really together. It's supposed to be multitasking and so forth. So how, do, how, how can you concentrate on any one of them, right? The old Buddhist saying, "Chop water," was it? Carry wood, chop water, like just. Simple things, concentrate on them. There's a lot to be found in in such, right? Um, we can't find enough in anything, so we're busy for another thing, for another thing. So that this is the fleeting nature of the mind, right? So the practice, the, the sadhana, the spiritual practice of yoga, in this case, for Vyas Bhakti, hmm? and what it's about, minimally yet centrally, is controlling the mind, capturing the mind, and um, that's no easy task. So somebody who can sit, and this is what Narada told Vyas, he said, "You have the qualification to sit in samadhi, samadhi nanusmanatadbicheshtitam." So we have to look at those qualifications and so forth. It's not easy just, well, just go sit in samadhi and you'll, you know, you'll know everything. But there's a means to attain that, right? The, pure, the heart has to be purified there and there are different disciplines and whatnot so that other desires in relation to temporary things that we have in pursuit of enduring happiness, uh, you know, that's not very wise, but that's what we're doing. So the wisdom of that ignorance, if you will, as to the ignorance of that, has to really be integrated into our person and being such that we actually have knowledge, the corollary of which is detachment, giving up the ignorance, attachment to things that don't endure in the pursuit of enduring happiness. Hmm? 
So this is this is the cleansing of the heart. It's it, it it's not some like kind of puritanical thing or castration or something, you know, or, or a chastity belt or or something like that. These are uh, other ideas about purity, perhaps. But so the word may have kind of a connotation that that's not a, a, appealing. I mean, I'm not pure. Uh, what what what's in anyway? So we're talking about the whole affair of desires are cluttering the the the, the chitta, the heart, uh, our, our consciousness. Hmm? I've given an example before. They're like it's as if uh, mega multi multi mega mm, corporations have set up shop in our heart with their flashing neon signs and and internet messages and do this buy this get this get this hmm? and so we're distracted by them from what we are which is more than any of what they can offer hmm? so the method for of course in bhakti for cleansing the heart is is to take Krishna into the heart, and the medium through which he makes himself most available to do so is through his name. Hmm? So the Nam, Krishna Nam, enters the heart, hmm? and he has got to put out all those lights and turn off all those um, internet connections and whatnot. A big task. And what does he do? He comes in, as I said before, he's selling brooms. What is that? How you know what a broom? You know, okay, I'll take one. I guess I should have a broom. Okay, now sweep, but it's a magic broom, right? And it dusts off the atma, and then it's it's its own shine. It's brighter than all those neon lights. Hmm? It's sound. Hmm? How the atma sounds, how it feels, hmm? in and of itself. It's ananda, atmananda. This, there's nothing. You could take all the corporations and all the offers together in one, you know, syringe and inject it, and it, just, it doesn't. It's not even categorically in the same league, right? And this is just the atma of the tiny particle. So, what to speak of that when it interacts with the whole, hmm? and then bhakti ananda can fill the atma. So, so Vyas was qualified in, in, in so many ways. Um, he had sat, he had chanted, he had, you know, done the things that we recommend we all do so that you can enter into samadhi. But he had entered into samadhi. And in samadhi, he was able to concentrate on Krishna and then he related that. So that, those stories, these stories of the Bhagavatam, which could easily be misunderstood as just a mythological allegorical story to tell a simple moral and they they are that too hmm? but they're much more than that is the point and the idea that they're more than that uh, gains credence hmm? when we speak about where they come from from the mind the con- yogic controlled mind in samadhi of the us hmm? he was really looking at the thing Seriously, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in the samadhi of bhakti. So I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, he he had he had himself transcended the limits of time and space, mm-hmm. 
and found that the Leela does as well, but it's appearing within time and space in our frame of reference to bring us out. Hmm? To bring us out in a particular way hmm? that in the context of bringing us out, it brings us into the play of consciousness rather than leaving us just waylaid at the, at the edge of transcendence. Relief. I'm free. Liber- resting. Liberated. Hmm? So explanations like this are, are useful as we begin to actually tell the stories, which without that background, they're still powerful and so forth, but with that background, we're better equipped to understand what's going on. That's why the Bhagavatam has canto after canto, nine cantos, before it brings us to the story itself. Prabhupada used to recommend us read the first nine cantos, in which you're supposed to understand the philosophically, theologically, and apply oneself accordingly, as the text recommends in bhakti. By the time you get to the canto, you're a little prepped for understanding the stories and appreciating them, relishing them, finding your place within them, ideally, as they're so crafted in the Bhagavatam in terms of how Vyas related them, hmm? related them in a way that they are not related in other um, of the Hindu sacred texts like the Harivams Purana or the Vishnu Purana, uh, Padma Purana, and so forth. Some of the stories are told, but they're just told kind of here, this happened, this happened, this happened chronologically. Like, But the feeling of the story, the feeling of the participants who are interacting with Krishna and the Leela, his associates, this is what... Vyasa is bringing up and, he's, and, and feeling himself. And therefore the subsequent texts that we find in our, our lineage from our founding Acharyas, the Goswami Gruntas as they're called, Granta means like, like a book here, um, and it also means, well, I won't go into that, books, they're, they're retelling the Leelas or telling new Leelas so it would appear, but if we look at them carefully, they're based on the Leelas of the Bhagavad and they're extending the, the, the discussion and it has 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 no end. And what they're doing in there, like Vyasa's doing, in kind of an outline way, is further plumbing the depths of the feelings that the whole thing is about. It's making it go around the bhava. Hmm? The, the, the rasas, sakya rasa, vatsali rasa, madhuri rasa, dasi rasa, hmm? which is what makes this world go around. Hmm? our feelings for our kids, for our lovers, for our friends, our teachers, and so forth. Of course, the problem with it is that our friends, our lovers, and our teachers are, are here today and gone tomorrow, <laughs> as we said earlier. So to find the, the perfect object hmm, for loving, hmm, that is a, a, the important, philosoph- most important philosophical lesson of the Bhagavatam Krishna's too. Bhagavan Swayam, it's Krishna. Hmm. So um, we've been talking about that, and having given a talk on Leela a little bit longer than this brief introduction, we entered into some discussion from the fifteenth um, chapter of the tenth canto. Um, the fourteenth, the twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth. This is like a um, a 
fraternal love, the feeling of feelings of fraternal love uh, center of the Bhagavatam. Just prior to that, chronologically in the text, there's chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, the feeling, the, the sacred rapture of Vatsalya, parental love for Krishna. The Prakat Leela is telling a story of Krishna as if it had a beginning and and went step by step through different ages, even though each of the ages, as he passes from one to the other, the one that he passed from is eternally existing and and it can be entered into forever. Uh, but the Prakat Leela is peculiar in this way that it's 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 acting kind of like our lives act. It's a little easier to to, to relate to. Hmm? Um, so, in the childhood leela, then the other way to talk about these centers, the, the the parental love center, the fraternal love center, and that's followed by the by the romantic love center, if you will. It's speaking about three Krishnas, if we one Krishna, but but the son of Nanda Nyasoda, the friend of Sridham and Subal the lover of the gopis, or another way to speak about it is about the elders or the lovers of the child Krishna, the friends who are the friends of Krishna, and the lovers. That's what these chapters are about. Two things are required in rasa, the object of love and the love. So in fraternal love, then the object of love is obviously Gopal Krishna or Madan Gopal. And and the lovers are his friends. Mm-hmm. Vatsalya, Krishna as the child is the, is the object of love, and the love is personified in the elders. And with the gopis, of course, the gopis are the personification of the love, and Krishna is the object of their romanticism. Mm-hmm. So um, we, in our discussions, entered into the kind of the center of the fraternal love center. That's chapter 15. I said it goes from 12 to 18. And, it, and in, 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 the, in the chapter 15, Krishna's just turning into a, um, uh, just has just graduated, so to speak, from childhood to boyhood. Hmm? He's anointed then to, to take care of the cows. The prominence of his brother, elder brother Balaram, comes to the fore during his Poganda or boyhood Leela. Um, at the same time, his boyhood Leela, because he's mature for his age, has a touch, when he gets to the middle of it, a touch of adolescence in it, which, which in adolescence, then his romantic life, of course, is going to blossom. So, it'd be, it, so in the chapter, there's a movement from boyhood to adolescence. And the chapter's titled The Slaying of Danikasura, so there's a, there's a, I said Balaram's prominence comes to the fore, Krishna's elder brother, so he, he, he comes out and, and does his first heroic act in the context of the Leela for the joy of all the boys present, cheering him on, egging him on. You're said to be the older brother. But where have you, where have you, where have you shown any strength? Krishna's slain Agasur and Bakasur and Putana, this, that. You have done nothing. So they're pinching his ego and getting him to 
to um, demonstrate his heroism, this he- heroics of Krishna or Balaram are a quality of theirs that pertains very much to Sakyaras, fraternal love. It will stand, there are certain qualities in Krishna for fraternal love that will stand out as there are other qualities in parental love or in romantic love. So his heroism, his heroic acts are are, are, are one of those uh, qualities. And of course, obviously, they're privy to them. They're out in the forest with them all day long and and, and and they're for them largely the only ones that are seeing them. There are a couple of exceptions, and we've come to that here in tonight's um, brief discussion that we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> so, uh, so that's a big chapter, this fifteenth chapter, and um, as it, as it, uh, uh, as Krishna's becomes a, a cowherd, this is uh, if we pull out what's in there, celebrated, and um, he, he's, he's off to the forest. Now this center of affection is moving from being focused on parents to the, to the friends. Parents are a little, they, they can't be let in on everything now. Mm-hmm. So the intimacy has now moved right into the forest, and appropriately so, because the parents aren't around. Of course, they come back and tell the stories like Balaram, Sladenikasur, and how the parents will react to that is um, another thing. So, when the slaying of Denikasur is there, and then Krishna and the boys returning home, which is a story that's told again and again, and they returned home. And the Sukadev, the narrator, tries to, tries to put into words what that's like as the sun is setting and the dust of the cows is flying and falling on the boys. and they're looking even that much more beautiful because what it really involves is the earth crushing itself with the help of the cows into dust so that it can embrace Krishna on behalf of all of the inhabitants of the forest. Goduli, it's called. Cow dust. So he comes home, and in the context of coming home, his, his kishore now is manifesting. He's moving from his boyhood to his adolescence and of course the gopikas and everyone is coming from the from the village to the to the to the to the you know line that demarks the pasture from the forest. They're at the edge of the pasture where it turns into forest waiting for him to return. They know he's coming because they see the dust cloud. The dust goes up and it covers the sun, but the brightness of Krishna, the sun is bowing, he's brighter than me. I'm fading, I'm getting out of the picture here. He's coming home. And so they hear his flute, they see the dust, they're all waiting for him to, uh, expecting him at any moment, and the gopis who haven't Express their love for him, or, or to whom they have not, exp- he has not exp- had the opportunity to express his love. It's just, you know, budding in, in, in adolescence. Being they're right up there, hmm, waiting to receive him, and, and they should be a little more hide themselves. But there's there's no one to hide yourself from because everyone's there <laughs> with the same eagerness just to see Krishna. So Krishna sees them from a distance, and of course they. They exchange glances. This is called Purvarag. And in this Purvarag, 
this is just the beginning of Krishna's overt um, romantic life. So the chapter ends there within a short further extension, which we're going to go into tonight. Now, I haven't described yet the slaying of Dainakasura, which is part of the 15th chapter, nor this Purvarag Leela and all of its um, implications. And there's a reason for that. And it involves two things. The ecstasy of Sugadev and the nature of the Leela that should have, chronologically speaking, been narrated before the slaying of Denikasur, another Poganda Leela of Krishna. Hmm? What Leela is that? That is called the, the, the Leela of chastising Kaliya. So why, the implications, didn't Sukadev tell that before telling the Danikasur Leela and, and then explaining the Purvarag of Radha and Krishna? So, I'll read a few verses, that uh, maybe four or five verses, that constitute the end of the chapter, where he seems to be going on to a different subject, leaving the other one behind, and then we'll discuss why it uh, um, is dealt with in this way by Sukadev. Evam sabhagavan krishno vrindhavana charakvachit yayo ramam rite rajan kalindim sakibhivritaha so Sukadev tells the king, O king, the supreme lord, evam sa Bhagavan Krishna, Bhagavan Krishna, Bhagavan means God, right? Uh, thus wandered about, so he, you know, he's told this whole story, right? It's the boyhood, you're totally absorbed, and he wants, as he did in the beginning of the chapter, he reminded us, this is Bhagwan. I'm going to tell a story about continuous story of Bhagwan. I know it doesn't sound like Bhagwan, like God, but this is a conception of God that, in relation to whom you can have intimate, loving dealings. So please try to understand. He's saying, for you to get close to the infinite, he has to take on a finite-like appearance. Otherwise, how can you get close to him? You will think, oh my God, I'm next to the infinite. And you'll feel infinitesimal. Hmm? So the infinite takes on a finite-like appearance for the sake of the intimacy between his devotees and himself, such as his affectionate nature. And he's more comfortable in that position Hmm? because he's a lover. He's big. Brahman is big, ultimately, by measure of affection, his capacity to love. Knows no limits. He issues a challenge in Bhagavad Gita. However you love me, I can love you back. And more. Try me. Test me, he says. That was tested. That's another story. <laughs> that test gave rise to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. So it's a never-ending affair here. Um, so here, now at the end of the chapter, he reminds us that he did in the beginning. Krishna, referring to him as Bhagawan, they just keep this. So this there is this tightrope, if you will, that Vyas, 
or Sukadev in narrating what he heard from Vyas, this is the idea here, um, is walking between Aishvarya and Madhurya. Aishvarya means the majesty of God, the, the, the agape, isn't it? The, the God. And Madhurya means the sweetness of the intimacy where the God it is in an, taking, assuming a finite-like form for the sake of intimacy. We shouldn't think of it in a backwards way. We should think the finite form is actually what the infinite form comes from. Because at first and foremost, he's a lover. He's affectionate. He's Rasaraj, king of loving feelings and so forth, right? So, so this tightrope, I'm going to, he's telling the story of the sweetness of Krishna, and then he, he, he carefully balances it back, addressing him as Bhagawan, or uh, saying something about his, uh, his godly powers, and so on and so forth, to keep the, the, the listeners uh, on, on track, to help them understand it. This is an extraordinary manifestation of the Godhead, Krishna. Difficult to, to understand, but one that we can very easily and readily identify with. He's human-like. Human-like means he's not like humans. He's human-like. means <laughs> He's not like. He's like, but he's not like at the same time. And so the whole range of human emotions in transcendence and eternity, unlike our human limited emotions, are experienced by him, but there's some semblance of them that we speak, we, we experience in material existence, and so when we hear about him experiencing them, we bond. Yeah, I, I can understand what he's like. I know that feeling, kind of. Hmm? It's fleeting, but... Hmm? So with every one, all of our human emotions, which is what we are, ultimately, I mean, you can say we're just, you know, from a materialistic point of view, materialism as a philosophy, we're just particles, dust in the wind. All you are is dust in the wind. The guy meant something more than that, but I mean, it's a kind of an odd statement. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. so, no, you know, you can, you can, you can philosophize like that. Hmm? That our entire emotional life is just an illusion and that you're a self experiencing it's just an illusion and we're eventually going to prove that to you by reducing every other superstitious idea like we have every other superstitious idea that superstitious idea that there's a that there's a there's a ghost in the machine of your of your 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 material body there's no ghost we're going to exorcise him there's just a machine and nature is just a machine, a very um, Newtonian uh, you know, perspective, right? Although he was a theist himself, but the implications of much of his Newtonian physics are where there's no place for consciousness. It's just it's something, who knows, like steam coming off a teapot or something. It's there, but you know, we don't have to be concerned with it. We know everything, how everything works, just... Uh, without any outside force. There's gravitational 
force, there's strong and weak nuclear energy, what's the other one? There's electromagnetic, these are the four basic forces, we've got it all figured out. Um, of course, things changed in the early part of the 20th century with the quantum um, physics perspective, and since then the perplexing position of the observer has come to the fore of consciousness. How to, how to, how to deal with it. it seems to have an effect. But it's just an illusion. It's just a ghost in the machine. What's really happened is, the, but with quantum physics, what's really happened is that, this is, the, is that the machine has been exercised, and the ghost remains. And we are realizing that things are more like thoughts, although they are things. They are things. They're more like thoughts, and that they arise out of thoughts. It's not purely pure. I'm not advocating Gaudiabhinath. Not advocating advocating pure and absolute idealism, in which there's nothing out there. There's only the subjective realm. You're only seeing your mind. There's nothing else. That's extreme. Neither it is. Is it the reverse? There's only what's out there. There's only the objective world. It would be the materialistic form of monism. Mm-hmm. No, we said there's something there, surely, but it's not what it looks like, mm-hmm. and it's more like a potentiality than a than a hard thing. Mm-hmm. And and what what brings it into shape and and so on and so forth is the influence of consciousness, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so materialism, as a philosophy, tries to reduce all of our what we really are, where we really live in the emotional world, to you know, be, to, to being in, in, in nothing but an, but an illusion. Hmm? Um, how did I get there? But. Emotional life, um, yeah. So emotional life is is what we are. I mean, you, in other words, you can you can philosophize that the emotional life is an illusion. We're really only particles of dust. But you cannot walk that talk. What <laughs> put that into practice? And practice, an example, speaks louder than precept. If you cannot put it into practice, then who, why should we listen to it? Hmm? You were saying you're saying we're, we're we're only such, and none of this matters. There's no difference between um, between um, I don't want to use too crude of an example, but there's no difference between um, you know, let's say, killing a child, an innocent child. And picking a flower. That's what materialism says. It, there's no right or wrong act. They're just dust in the wind. That's all there is. There's an illusion that there's some moral import and and so forth. Just a human construct. That's all. There's no difference. Now, can anybody walk that? Hmm? 
soon as you say that, and that is that is that is inherent in the doctrine of philosophical materialism. As soon as they say you say that, and if you even believe that, you can't walk it. But you'll be that'll be it. Your your career will be done. Hmm? But that is the implications of that. Hmm? So, no, our emotional life is is the, the subjective world is the real world, hmm? out of which some crude objective world manifests. I mean, I'm not saying that the Maya Shakti comes from the Jiva Shakti, but our perception of it, but still, from the larger point, from Krishna, the Supreme Consciousness, Maya Shakti is one of his Shaktis. It's the shadow. And his Rup Shakti is the light, and we are of the nature of the light more than we are of the nature of the shadow, right? Hmm. We can thrive in the light. Um, we're not a Sarup Shakti, we're the Jiva Shakti, which is like a spark of the fire. Anyway, so point being that when the Leela narratives allow us to bond with Krishna emotionally, it's a, it offers a very a strong potential to bond with the absolute, with the with 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 ultimate reality, hmm? through our human emotions, as we hear him about him experiencing human-like emotions with his unalloyed devotees. Hmm? Is he very user-friendly? Is the point I'm making? Hmm? Take it or leave it, but it's what it is. <laughs> so here, uh, Sukadev says he, as human like, who's human like, as they say, it was Bhagavan, Evam Sa Bhagavan Krishna Vrindavana Chara Kuchit. He was like this Vrindavana Chara, wandering around, just wandering around carefree in Vrindavan. Oh, that was described at the beginning, what is, a little bit about what is Vrindavan. Hmm? Not an ordinary forest. And, um, very accommodating for his for his leela in so many ways. Hmm? He's coming in with the cows. The beginning, herding big cows. Now he's just very young, herding the big cows. It's a bit of a bit of a responsibility. And the forest, more or less, is saying, "Don't worry about that. We will take care. We'll provide everything in abundance. You just play, just play." Hmm? So Vrindavanam, he's wandering in this Vrindavan, um, and once, so it's a new story, so, and once, Kachityayohurate, and it reminds us, Kachityayohramamrite, along with Balaram, as we learned earlier in the chapter, the two are in many respects, one. They're one in tattva. They're both God. Balaram is not a jiva. They're one emotionally with regard to the sakiras. They feel the same about one another. While at the same time, from a Madhurya Rasa's perspective, there's an emotional difference between Ram and Krishna. And that was addressed, and we talked about that, how that comes up in the text. But here again, we're at the end, and a new story is beginning. So he says, Esham Sabagavan. 
Krishna Vrindavana Chara Kuchit Yayo Ramam Rajan Kalindim Sakibi Brita. So the, he says, King Raj, the sage is speaking to the king. This is, we, we, we went, um, they went along the banks of, of the river, surrounded by their friends. Hmm. And Atagavas Jagopascha Nidha Gha Tapa Piditaha Dushtam Jalam Papustasyas Trishnartha Vishadushitam. I'll pick up the pace here a little bit with the narrative. At that time, the cows and the cowherd boys were feeling acute distress from the glaring summer sun. Afflicted by thirst, they drank the water of the Jamuna. But, Dustamjalam Papustasya, Trishnarta Vishadushitam. Visha means poison. The water had been poisoned. Problem. Hmm? So, then in two texts he says, as soon as they touched the poisoned water, all the cows and boys lost their consciousness. By the divine power of the Lord, they fell lifeless on the water's edge. O hero of the Kurus, Sukadeva speaking to the king. Hmm? This is a, this, you see, Sukadev has some real feeling for what's going on here, and so does the Raj. They're completely absorbed. The Raj has been completely taken in, the king, by Sukadev's narrative, hmm? feeling the, the Leela himself from his own vantage point, and now that this very shocking e- event has occurred. What? So he says, oh, he, he calls him, oh, hero of the Kurus. Take courage here now. I know this is difficult. You know, it's just a story for us, but they're really feeling it. They're living in it here. And the coward boys have died. How does this work philosophically? And, and who cares about the philosophy? The coward boys died. <laughs> they're, you know, they're, he's right, right there. They drank the water. How did the water in Vrindavan, which we've heard about, uh, be poisoned? It's almost like how can there be, you know, Maya in 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 the realm of uh, perfection? How can there be illusion? How can there be problems? Hmm? So it's uh, complex. Hmm? So he says, "Oh, hero of the Kurus, seeing them in such a condition, Krishna." Hmm? Yoga Ishwara Ishwara, he says. Who is Yoga Ishwar Ishwar? He's the Ishwar means controller or master. He's the master of the masters of yoga. So he's waxing a little bit towards the Aishvarya, right? The God. He, now, okay, they look, he died, but this is God. They drank water, they died, it seems. How is that possible, even next to God? So okay, he's kind of. Mitigating the, 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 the giving some, trying to, trying to give some relief to the Raj and himself. Hmm? He's the master of the masters of yoga. So, something miraculous uh, is, 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 in, is in play here to 
resolve the the problem. Hmm? Yeah, so Krishna, who's the master of the masters of mystic potency, felt compassion for his devotees, who had no one, no lord other than himself. Thus, he immediately brought them back to life by showering his glance of immortal nectar upon them. He says. We'll go back and describe a little more what the implications of this is, but proceeding with the narrative, it's only a couple of verses. Regaining their full consciousness, the cows and boys stood up out of the water and began to look at one another with great astonishment. O king, the coward boys then considered that although they had drunk poison and in fact died, simply by the glance, merciful glance of Govinda, they had regained their lives and stood up on their own strength. End of the chapter. What's happening here, therefore, I mean, well, what happened? How did, it, how did it get poisoned and so forth, right? Does there, wait, well, I guess you could say it just happened. Or what, but what's happening is Subhadeva is not telling the whole story. He's so affected by the story that he's going to tell, that he doesn't want to tell. Hmm? Because he's concerned that how the Raj will be affected, because he knows in the context of the story, the Leela, how the inhabitants of Braj were affected. This is the story of Kaliya, who poisoned the lake in the Jamuna, and now the whole Leela Krishna will come and chastise him and so forth. And the, the, it's a Leela in which, well, it, it, uh, it's a long story. But Sukadev doesn't want to play it out. He's concerned how it might affect uh, the Raj, and he himself is affected by it. At the end of the previous section in this chapter, where Krishna began to sp experience his adolescence and what's called Purvarag, love for the gopis in separation, separation being that they can't share their feelings yet, they're not sure if the other one has them, and so forth. It's just starting to happen. So there's a, there's a love and separation that occurs, and it's called Purvarag. Hmm? Purva means before, before the attachment is, is before I could say, I love you, and then she can say, I love you, too. Hmm. So at that point, in his narrative, this is a form of kirtan, Sukadev, doing harikatab, this is a form of kirtan, not nam kirtan, this is lila kirtan. Hmm? Sukadev has said, to have been an example of one who became perfect by kirtan. There are other angas or limbs of bhakti, like hearing, chanting, hearing. Parikshit Maharaj is the example of one who became perfect by hearing. So, Sanatana Goswami explains to us in his commentary that during the just two verses that relate the Purvarag in, in kind of a abstract way that we that, you, that we can unpack. We won't do it here tonight. But, but um, it, it, those coming to those verses, speaking of those verses, Sugadev attained Surup Siddhi. He, he saw himself in the Leela. Hmm? And in his, in his case, in Gopi Bhav. Hmm? So Sugadev is in has attained an ex, the the penultimate state. Hmm? Surup Siddhi means one realizes one's role in the Leela and meditation sees himself in the Leela. And then after that, it was called Vastu Siddhi, entering the 
aprakat, the unmanifest lila, never never to return. Hmm? So he's he's he he's in this extraordinary condition of ecstasy, and so he's speaking out of ecstasy rather than out of consideration of chronological order. Hmm? And so this is a poganda lila, a boyhood lila. Hmm? But Krishna's already chronologically speaking, as the narrative is gone, entered into Kishore. So it should have been narrated earlier, but in it, in, it, in his ecstasy, uh, that's driving the whole of his narrative, uh, he doesn't always speak in chronological order. And of course, as I say, at the end of this chapter, the measure of his ecstasy is is magnified. Hmm? Uh, you can find the chronological order in other Puranas where the focus is not the feelings and the and an intention to convey them to others and bring them into them and share those feelings that they may attain Bhakti Rasa themselves. Hmm? So, for that reason and for the reason of the nature of this Leela and how traumatic it was on the Brajabhasis, he's hesitant to tell the whole story. But... At the same time, it is a significant boyhood leela of Krishna. He's only told one typical leela, the slaying of Danikasura. So far, so he, 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 he's a little conflicted. He should tell it, but... but So he gives us just a brief narrative. Let's go on, is the idea here. But as we see, Parikshit Maharaj, his, 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 his curiosity has been perked at the same time. So at the beginning of the next chapter, he'll ask questions that mm-hmm. force the Sukadev to tell, to, all right, to come out with the whole story over, over a couple of chapters. It's a long, long Leela narrative. Hmm. So here, of course, um, well, when the cowherd boys are coming home and singing songs, that they've made up doing kirtan, describing Balarama slayed Denikasura, and they tell the story to the elders. The elders kind of take it with a grain of salt. You know, they think it's a little, sounds like a little exaggeration, but you know, boys will be boys, and so forth. For the boys, these are real events, the hero heroism of Krishna that they've experienced, and that they relish because his heroism is, an, is an, as I said, it's a quality that's a deep and a stimulus or an excitement for their for their love. One of them. And also, they so much identify with Krishna and Sakyaras that they feel equal with him. They don't feel that he's God and I'm not. We're just both friends. Sometimes they serve him, sometimes he serves them. It's the characteristic of Sakyaras. There's no sense that he's superior. Only that, well, he's the, he's the king's son, son of the king of the cowherds. Well, you know, informally we may have to give him a little deference here and there, but we're in the forest right now, you know. So... <laughs> So they, so his heroic acts that he performs, they identify with him. Yeah, that's what we're like. Hmm. And they are like that. They could have slayed all of the demons themselves, any one of them. Hmm. But the Leela Shakti of, of Krishna arranges for Krishna to do it so that we can know who is Krishna. <laughs> uh, so what is their position? What is the nature of their love and the mystic power? behind it and so forth. So they live in the, in such stories, right? The elders consider them, you know, exaggerations. The gopikas, the young gopis, hear about them as they're being told 
And they, they, they think of them as, this is a story of the man of my dreams. That's how they think of it. Wow, does such a person exist? Like, so heroic. So from, they have different angles of vision, from Vatsalya, from Madhurya, from Vatsalya, and so forth. But as traumatic as this event was, the poisoning of the lake, unbeknownst, the boys drank the water and, and uh, died. Da- death here is, is one of the ten uh, stages of, or expressions of um, a separation. There's no death there, but death-like symptoms, and it all, for all intents and purposes, it appears to be a death, and so forth. I mean, it's a great story how Krishna revives them in in, in detail going forward. But, but um, the point I'm making now is that that while the boys had a traumatic experience, they're going to be revived. Krishna's going to chastise Kaliya and so on and so forth. Meanwhile. At least they have some experience of Krishna doing extraordinary things in his heroism and so forth. But the gopis don't have that experience. The elders don't have that experience. Hmm? Maybe a little bit, you know, Krishna killed Putin, but the parents were, the father, Nanda wasn't there, and, and you know, there are other reasons, ways, obviously, to think about it. An infant couldn't do something like that. So, uh, so, uh, In this Leela, when it's actually played out, the gopis and the elders, they will, Krishna will be caught in the coils of Kaliya, allows him to capture him, that's another thing. But it looks like he's, it looks like not only is this a heroic act of, act of his, but he may not be successful in the act. He's caught in the, in, in the clutches of Kaliya. And now for the first time, the parents, the elders, and the gopis, they're going to come there because they're going to be omens that go throughout. The, the earth is going to tremble and meteors are going to fall. and They're going to know something inauspicious. And they're going to turn to Balaram, who happened to be home for the day for other reasons, and say, what? And so he will take them there. And they will see, they'll arrive, and Krishna's wrapped in the, in the coils of Kaliya. And so, so it's super traumatic for Vatsalya and Gopibhav. And Sukadev's in Gopi Bhav. So the tender, budding Gopi Bhav of his, he's super affected by this. He doesn't want to tell the whole story. And he's, and he's concerned how it may affect the uh, the Raj. But the Raj is going to inquire. So he's, 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 going, to, he's, going, to, he's going to narrate the whole, the whole story and much to be, uh, to be learned from it, right? Hmm? So that's how the chapter ends, and the next chapter begins the story, which introduces uh, a very significant Vedic person and person in Krishna Lila, Garuda, and many things. So we'll see if we can come to that as we go forward. So that was my short class for the night. Before we entertain questions, I'm sorry it took so long. What time is it? All right, well, is there any, are there any questions? <laughs> Leela's can render us speechless, so it's, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah.
It's still the same. We don't know what'll come next. <laughs> That's what makes it exciting. Man, probably to say, man, men and women propose, and God disposes. So, mm. but, but our leela remains the same. We, we try to please Krishna, do His bidding, remember Him. That's all. Nothing's changed. Here I am. Here you are. Yes. Shukadev Goswami is in Madhurya. I've always wondered who he is, where did he come from, how is he so mm-hmm. special? The speciality of Sukadev from the uh, Bhagavatam's perspective, um, ostensibly, is that although he was an extraordinary sage who had realized his atma, his self, and thus had no interest in anything in the world. Hmm? This is, is super central to the whole Bhagavatam, right? Hmm? Although that was his position, when he heard in the forest a woodcutter who had been sent by his father, Yas, Vyasa is the father of Sukadev, to collect wood and told, when you're out there, chant these poetic song verses from the Bhagavatam about Krishna Leela. Because my son's out there somewhere. He went away from home for, for this very, right after he was born. And uh, there's something, he doesn't think he has anything to learn, but there's something to learn. There's something more than the Atma and its likeness to Brahman. The difference its difference from Brahman and the possibility of interacting with Brahman in the form of Bhagawan and so on, right? So he said, sing these songs. Now, the point was, of course, that Sugadev was completely pure of heart. He had no material desires. So if bhakti comes into our heart, first it's going to clean all the material desires, gradually as much as we apply ourselves to bhakti and so forth. And then, it, then these miraculous effects that bhakti is said to have, that's miraculous in itself, but it can be slow going. Uh, um, will, will will show themselves. So his heart was already pure. So as soon as he heard the verses, he had an, an epiphany. An epiphany. He was attracted to them, and he thought, well, "How can I be attracted to anything when I'm not attracted to anything? And I'm relishing the atma, which is the source of bliss in the whole world. There's nothing in the world that has any bliss. It's only us. Things don't have bliss. They don't love." We can love, and the basis of our love is that we're 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 a unit of consciousness. So, so he he was obviously very wise to have arrived at that position in the first place, and then hearing the verses about Krishna Lila and being attracted to them, he could he could put two and two together like very quickly, and he followed the woodcutter home, and Vyas then narrated the Krishna Lila to him, and so. Having heard the Leela from Vyas was his first installment, right, of Krishna Bhakti. Bhakti and the Ananda of Bhakti is different or superior to the Bhakti, to the Ananda of the Self. And then, after he heard, what did he do? Well, 
he wandered and contemplating the implication of the leelas and so forth, meditating on them. And then in his wandering, he came in proximity of the Raj, the king, who had decided to go to the bank of the Ganges and fast until death with the, while voicing the essential question of life, you know, what, 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 uh, what's life about? What's, uh, what happens after death? Or, you know, why do I have to die? What is death? And uh, what is the purpose of life? And how to apply one? That kind of thing. And all kinds of people came and offered suggestions and advice and so forth. And, but by the arrangement of, of God, Sukadev happened on the scene, naked, 16-year-old boy. What does he know? But the, some of the people present thought his nakedness speaks to the fact that he has no desire because he doesn't even know he's naked. Hmm? He's got a body, but he's not living in it. He's a jivan mukta. He's liberated it within the body itself. Hmm? He must know the answer. Hmm? Right? Hmm? What is death? Hmm? He's died an ego death. Hmm? He's understood. So, so they were. He was given a seat of esteem, and then he began kirtan, right, relating the Bhagavatam, the story of Krishna, to the Raj. So, uh, so in the context of doing so, then he attained perfection. Now, in Brihad Bhagavatamrita, Sanatana Goswami says, I think in two places, that he attained Gopi Bhav. Now, Gopi Bhav. Is the, is the kind of the center of the center of the feelings of the Bhagavatam that's being offered, right? What Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to experience, the Bhava of the gopis, the Bhava of Radha, and so forth, right? So Sukadev, from Sanatana Prabhu's perspective, is that he, that he attained that. That's uh, um, this kind of the story of Sukadev, which tells us, you know, he heard it, he attained the highest ideal, and you can too, and I'm sorry, so? Just trying to figure out where, because the Bhagavatam, Ninth Canto, Krishna yeah. comes before he's even born, and here's Krishna, and who gives reassurance, you know, you, you yeah. come out, and, and then he leaves, and then he comes back, and he hears from his father, and... And Krishna leaves. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out where that transformation happened, and then it also says he achieved perfection by speaking the Bhagavatam. Yeah, well, he came back, and you know, you, you, the story details can sometimes be drawn from other texts rather than the Bhagavatam itself. So other Puranas go into some detail, like the story of the woodcutter that I related is not in the Bhagavatam itself; it's in another Purana. I forget which one. Um, so yeah, I mean, but the Bhagavatam says it in essence. It says, "Atmaramas chamunayo nigranta apirukrame." What is what is the next line? Kurvanti haituki bhakti itambuta gunohari. It said, is it Sutta Goswami asked the question in the Bhagavatam, why is it that the sage Sukadev, who's narrating this Leela, who was liberated, bothered to study the, the story of the Bhagavatam that he's telling? Why did he need to do that? So the, the text is saying he studied the Bhagavatam. Hmm? 
right? So from, from Vyas, the other Purana pulls in some details. He was brought there by the woodcutter, hearing the verses and so forth. So he heard it, and then he repeated it, and then he entered into it. So the message is, you should hear it, you should chant about it, you should meditate on it and enter into it. Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Krishna Leela ki jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai. Gaur Premanandi.